0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, uh, if, if you're here uh, in the room right now and you're one of the, the 18 new folks who joined River Bluff last Sunday night, would you just raise your hand? Anybody, any of them in the house? Yeah, say hi. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, hey! we really are glad to have you guys with us and look forward to uh, doing life, getting to know you better and, um, and quite frankly just taking on hell together. Does it feel like that some days? Yeah, it does feel like that some days. Um, and can I just say it's, it's a whole lot better to do it together <clears throat> than uh, trying to do it on your own. So, uh, let's plan to do that together. Now, um, if if you were here, well, if you were here or not here last Sunday, it doesn't make any difference. Last Sunday, we spent some time looking at the issue of sanctity of human life, and we 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 explored God's word, really focused out of Genesis, the opening chapter, uh, Genesis, where we see God creating the first. The first man and the first woman and through a study of God's word more holistically, we, we came to understand that every person ever that lived on this planet was created in the image of God. I wonder if I do that again. If... No, I didn't do it. <clears throat> I thought it was me, um, and it may be before it's over, but we, 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 we looked at this and every person who's ever been created was created in the image of God and we, we looked and said in, from God's word that that image, just hold on for just a second, just to, I want to make sure that this is tightened down and pressed and shaken together and um, just don't pay any attention to what I'm doing, look away. Don't look up here. Look elsewhere. I'll try an adjustment to see if that helps. But here's what we came to understand is that, that that image gets imprinted on us not at birth but at conception. When life begins. And I challenged us to, you know... Press into this issue in the coming year at several levels but the first and I think most important being in prayer and I I told you that I was going to be using a resource that I had used last year for the very first time to once again inform my heart, uh, condition my heart, ready my heart to, to pray into this matter and I said I would begin on Tuesday and I wanted to begin on Tuesday because that was the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision in our supreme court that i think kind of unleashed a culture of death in our nation and quite frankly that kinda jumped out into the rest of the world and and i just challenged all of us to begin praying together and i i I posted that uh, that resource on the city i hope and I know some of you went and got it and um, and some of you said you began praying tuesday and interestingly you know i'm praying that morning and uh, later in the day, I find out that something devastating to the cause of life in our nation happened in the state of New York. That the legislation there, legislators there and the governor there signed into law what I think may be one of the most horrific bills on this issue ever. Um, and it's basically this, that a woman can take the life of her unborn child up to the moment of birth. And for almost, and I said almost, I didn't say any, for almost any reason, you can go and read the law because it can be open wide to interpretation, but for almost, for, for almost any reason, and I'm not gonna go into more detail about it, you can go look it up. Um, it, it'll trouble your soul and I think drive you to pray. And, and this is not gonna be another message on the sanctity of human life, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. But in a minute, I do want uh, to call us together to pray together on this issue and I want to do that because it is an issue that God's people we need to take up and we need to do it together as we saw last week this issue is not only an assault on a human life it's an assault on the very glory of God himself and as followers of Jesus Christ we ought to be jealous for his glory we we need to be so before we get to that point of praying together. I want to read to you from that, that prayer guide. From today's reading. Now when I read this last year for the very first time. It, it liked to just tore my heart out of my chest. Because they, they start that day's reading with a parable. And for reasons only known to God. They decided to use the name Joe. For the main character of the, of the, the parable. And so it just it, it kind of got all over me again today. So I want to read this to you and then read some what I'll call outflow from that. Starts with this parable. Joe found the young girl conscious in her upstairs closet. By the time he got there, the structure was a raging inferno. No one else dared go inside, but Joe scooped up the girl, took his only exit straight out the second story window into the bushes below. The girl lived. Joseph sustained three cuts and two sprained ankles and an avalanche of questions. The media wanted to know how he planned to pay for the girl's food, clothing, and health care, since he's the one that rescued her. A pastor asked if the time spent saving the girl from temporal aims might better be spent saving people from eternal ones. The social justice coordinator at the local parish insisted that if Joe truly cared about saving lives, he'd care about all life and spend equal time rescuing poor workers from rich corporations. The local congressman asked Joe if he supported tax hikes aimed at reducing fire risk. Joe just kept looking at the little girl. It goes on to say that the above story is contrived but a similar scenario is played out in the public square every single day. Only the issue is abortion. Like Joe, pro-lifers face questions from critics. Are you willing to adopt all these unwanted kids? You don't want to abort it. Or, why do you only care about babies before they're born? You know, now for the most part, These questions are not designed to promote understanding. They are carefully engineered to try to silence pro-life advocates. They're distractions from the main issue. They attack the pro-lifer rather than dealing with the issue of abortion. And the attacks are completely false. Pro-life Christians do care. For example, pro-life pregnancy centers now outnumber abortion clinics two to one. And these centers are funded in large measure by concerned pro-lifers, provide many abortion alternatives including parenting classes, baby clothes, and adoption services. And studies show that pro-life citizens give more to charity than their pro-abortion counterparts. But even if pro-lifers didn't have this track record, how does it follow that because we oppose abortion, we must take personal responsibility for all of life's ills? Imagine saying to the American Cancer Society, you have no right to oppose cancer unless you also work to oppose all illness such as diabetes or Crohn's disease or heart attacks. It's absurd. Just as Joe in the parable kept his eye on the girl, we must keep our eyes on the unborn. Nothing can justify the intentional taking of innocent life. And so I I want us to pray together this morning into this again. Um, and what I want us to do, there there are going to be three things coming up that the guide for today encourages us to pray for and I want to call us to a time of prayer and I'm going to ask any of you who will to join me here and we're just going to kneel and pray and the rest of you that want to stay seated, you can stay seated and just kneel in your heart you can kneel right by your, however you want to do it but those who will come, I'm just going to ask you to join me down here and we're going to pray through these. And you can, you can use this if you need to look up to remember how to pray. What you're praying for. Do that. It's okay. You can pray with your eyes open. But we're just going to take a minute and pray. So anybody that wants to come, let's just, let's just come and pray. You just pray silently to the Lord right now. And then I'll close this. Father, we come, we come first in agreement with you. We come agreeing with your word that we saw last week, tells us that life begins at conception. We agree with you, God. We come agreeing with you, God, that every human being at conception is created bearing your image. And we come knowing, God, that Satan hates that and he wants to rob you of your glory and humans of life. We agree with that, God. And so we come now to you, God, confessing the sin of our nation. And Lord, we do so just as Jesus did, hanging on the cross of those who were killing him, saying, Father, forgive them. And so we pray, God, I pray for the legislators in New York City, in New York State. I pray for the governor. I pray, God, they don't know what they're doing, but I ask you, God, to break them. Break their hearts for truth. And God, we pray that truth, your justice, will roll down like a river in our generation and we will see the end of legalized abortion. God, we're asking for the legalized killing of little babies in our nation, God. Restore our nation from a a culture of death to a culture of life. And God, we ask you to do that in these ways. We pray, God, for those who are ministering in your name to... To, to, to moms, so many caught in poverty, God, who feel despairing and, and hopeless. God, I pray that you would raise up even more pregnancy centers across our land so they quadruple the number of abortion clinics. We just pray for that. We pray, God, that because we know that takes resources, that you would stir the hearts of your people even more, God, to give, to care, to love, to, to, to serve, to sacrifice in those environments, God. To make it personal. That we'd get involved. Father, we pray also that you would provide legal covering in this season of litigious society, God. That you would protect those organizations who seek to rescue children. God, protect them. Provide for their legal counsel. Help them, God, to to do right in their efforts to save lives. Help them, God. Help us, God. And Father, we we ask you now to stir our own hearts. Show us what you would have us do next individually and corporately as your people known as the river. Help us, God. We want to follow you into all truth. We want to follow you, Holy Spirit, where you want to lead us. And we know, God, this is about about your glory and about our lives, so we pray for your help now, Father. Help us lift up the name of Jesus high His forgiveness, help us not look at people that we disagree with on this issue as our enemies but those who need to be lifted up to you to find your healing grace, to find power for living life from you and you alone. So we come now as your people praying, giving you thanks God. And we come as Jesus taught us to pray. Pray with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name there would be some who would say, Joe, dude, you're a downer. Man, I don't want to be a downer, but I want us to be in the middle of the battle. Not because the battle's so despairing, but, but because we have so much hope. I mean, we just have so much hope in Jesus. And I, I want us to embrace that hope in the moments that we have, have left together because it's, it, the hope is incredible. You know, when, when we look at what happened Tuesday in, in the state of New York, there's a part of us that would probably just say how, you know, how in the midst of decisions like that with, we're thinking about killing the most innocent uh, uh, among us. That humanity's gone too far that there's no hope. Folks, there's hope. There is great hope in, in Jesus. And the study that we begin today in the book of Ephesians is a great study of hope because it's, it's, it's God through Christ reconciling the world to himself and establishing the bearers of hope, the bearers of the gospel, his church. That's what the book of Ephesians is so much about, the establishing and building up of the church so that there, there literally is a new humanity that's being created. You knew that, right? That God's in the business of creating a new humanity? Your new creation's in Christ, is what the Bible says. Man, there's, there's, great, there's great hope in thinking about this new humanity, this new community that, that God is creating. One commentator I read said it like this. In Ephesians, we see the promise of community in a world of disunity. We see the promise of reconciliation in a place of alienation. We see the promise of peace in the middle of war. See, we see the grace of God saving people all over the world. There are people right now gathered in other spots around the globe today who are worshiping together and at one time some of those worshipers hated the people of God and now they sing the praises of Jesus together. I mean people literally who were persecuting See, God is tearing down, dividing walls, and he's bringing people together. And that's why events like that took place on Tuesday will not discourage God's people. Because our hope is not in any legislation. Our hope is in Christ alone. And it's in God's people living these out. Now, we've got to see this. Because when we see God tearing down, dividing walls, we look to see God is at work. His kingdom is coming. His will is being done. He is creating a new humanity. He's he's breaking down these these walls of hostility, these racial divisions, economic distinctions, even across party lines. In these broken United States, God is God is at work. And he's creating something new in Christ Jesus. And he has fixed and he is fixing the broken mess that we live in. And he's doing this through Jesus. God is graciously restoring and putting into place peace with him through, through his blessed son and peace with one another. He's creating a new humanity. And, and that's what the book that we start looking at today is going to be all about. That God's grace leading to peace with God and with one another. Now, I want to start by looking at the first two verses um, from the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read these out of the New American Translation. They're, they're in your notes if you want to pull your worksheet out. Um, the, all the scripture that we're going to look at uh, from Ephesians is just compiled there because we're going to look at the first 14 verses. But Paul starts this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. He said, I'm writing this because this is the will of God. And he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, before you stop and think, who are those guys? Well, Is that like Saint Bartholomew and Saint John and Saint whomever? No, it's every Christian, it's every believer that lived in Ephesus that was receiving this letter. It wasn't leaders, it was everyone. He's addressing this to everyone. He goes on to say, uh, who the saints are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. In the middle. now." Their world, you know that the, the, the place this letter was being written to. First, Paul was writing from a prison. And secondly, the place that he was writing to was one of the most decadent cities in the world that day. And it was the place of idol worship. In that day, it was like central. Some of the great, you know, works of of, of art and architecture had been built in the Ephesus to glorify pagan gods, pagan idols. Right there in that city, Paul's writing that, saying, "This is the will of God, and I'm granting from my grace, I'm granting you peace." And he goes on, "This peace is from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ." So this letter that we're going to study is is it's about peace that humans can have with God through Jesus because of God's grace. Now there's something unique about this letter that I think is different from the other letters that Paul wrote to specific churches. I I don't have the time to go into all the details of why but I want to tell you what my conclusion is. My conclusion is is that Paul did not intend this letter just to go to the one church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was like the, the the passageway to all of Asia Minor and I really believe that the Holy Spirit intended when Paul wrote this letter. And Paul intended that this letter be circulated to the other churches. And historians tell us that it was. It, th- th- that this actually happened. It's just an incredible book. In fact, if I could only have five books of the Bible for our church to study, the book of Ephesians would be one because it is such a great roadmap for helping form and grow a healthy church. Now some of you are not going to be able to get through the rest of the message until I tell you what the other four are. I I just, I know how your minds work, you know. Let's do this. Let's play a game. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think the other four books are that I think we've got to have. okay we're gonna play the elimination game if you said genesis raise your hand Okay. now no no keep i want you to keep those hands up if you said genesis keep your hands up now nobody else can raise their hand nobody else can play but i'm gonna call out the other books and if you didn't have that book you gotta put your hand down okay next one is john okay ready next one is james okay Romans do we have no hands left we got one hand left I wish I had that candy bar um here those are the and and some of you are saying Joe you're wrong you missed my favorite book (laughs) you know I will die for the right for you to be wrong um no. That's, that's my Here's why. I believe in those five books we find all of the major doctrine of, of, of the Christian community found in those five books. And can be displayed relatively easily. I, I think it helps you to capture the whole gospel story from beginning to end. Um, I, it's just, I, I think those books help us accomplish that. You can develop a, a very Christ-centered worldview out of studying the, those five books. Now, I'm grateful we don't have to do that. You know, I didn't hear something coming down the pipe that they're going to take, you know, the, the other 61 books from us. They're, that's not happening. Um, we, we've still got them. But um, see, the reason Ephesians is in there for me is because it majors on the majors of, of the church. Of helping the church become the church. It, it, it drills down into the root system of the church. And if you know anything about plants, if you've got, if you've got disease roots, you're going to have lousy fruit. Okay, that's going to happen and, and the book of Ephesians drills down into that for the church and it helps it helps the people of God connect with God in so many ways. It helps us connect w- with, with God personally and intimately. It helps us connect with God's people. It shows us how to connect with our true identity, who who he made us to be. It, it helps us to know how to connect in, in biblical marriage and in biblical family. It, it helps us connect to the whole of the gospel. It shows us how to connect to the spiritual protection that God God has provided for his people. It's it's an incredible uh, just treatise on the uh, the church and, and, and on God's people. And the first half of this letter really connects us to who we are. It's just so much about who we are and who we can finally be in Christ. and In the opening chapters there, Paul is going to tell us of everything pretty much that Jesus did for us, has done for us, and about who that has made us now, in the here and now. And that once that we're established in Christ Jesus, that then he tells us to go and be who he intended us to be. When you get to to the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter opens this way. It's not going to come up on the screen. You can look it up in your Bible if you want to. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. He's just told you about what you've been called to. Who you've been called to be. Now he's telling you, walk it out. Live it out. And so we're going to look at that. But it's kind of divided that way. Uh, First three chapters, Paul is telling us about life in the heavenly realm. what, What our lives in the kingdom of God are supposed to be lived like. And then the last half is in the earthly realm. Here's who we are. Here's the truth about us in the heavenly realm. The Bible says you're seated there if you're in Christ. But now the last half of the book says here's how you actually live that out. This letter also shows us right out of the gate how to connect our hearts so that our hearts become hearts of praise as we grow in the knowledge of God, intimate knowledge of him, that our worship of him ought to flow from the great salvation that we have. And so this opening chapter is so much about God's grace and mercy poured out through his salvation. And so Paul begins this description about who we are as followers of Jesus by opening the first half of his book with the longest sentence in the Bible. Do you know that? Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 is the longest sentence in the Bible in the original language. Now, there's not an English tra- I went looking. There's not an English translation that tried to mimic that because you, you, you couldn't. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit infusing Paul to write this. Paul got so excited. He's sitting in a prison. You can almost see Paul, as you read through this this way, he gets so excited, he's breathless. It's like, you know, if he's, he's not taking a breath. He's just writing, 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 writing. It's, it's like, you know, in, in, in rap music, they call it freestyling. The dude was freestyling. He was just freeforming all over the place. You know, he couldn't stop is kind of what happened. And then finally he gets kind of, and he puts a period at the end of this, you know, this 11 verses. Just incredible. Um, of, of who we are in Christ because he was, I think he was filled with excitement. You know, he, he just was. So I want us to read these. Now, we're, gonna, we're actually going to be in these verses uh, for the next several weeks. Because there's so much in there about our salvation, past, present, and future. And we're going to study it so you can just keep reading. Some of you have been saying, you know, I wish they'd let us know what we're going to teach on. Okay, I'm telling you. We're going to be teaching on Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. Maybe till Jesus comes. I don't know when we're going to do it, you know. But here's what I do want you to know about this study. We're going to cover every verse in the book of Ephesians. Now, we may hop around a little bit. And we may take some detours. When we get to some of those places where God's word, God tells us in here, He wants us to be captured by connecting with Him. There, we're going to do it. For instance, um, in the middle of chapter three, verse six, seven, eight, somewhere around in there, He starts talking about the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel. And so we're going to we're going to pause there, and we're going to spend about six or seven weeks thinking deeply about the mystery of Christ's gospel. And we're going to try to just saturate ourselves in that by doing a church-wide kind of campaign using small groups um, and, and Sunday messages and really focusing our whole congregation on the gospel of Jesus so that we'll be saturated. You know, one of the things that came out of the, the transformational church groups is is that we would um, in order that we would share Jesus more effectively and more often, that we would be saturated in the story, that we would know the story of Jesus well, so that we could communicate it better and, and more confidently. And so we're going we're gonna to stop there. When we get to some stuff on families, we're going to do kind of a mini series on family. When we get to uh, the, the issues related to uh, spiritual protection that God has for his people, we're going to stop and we're going to deal with some spiritual warfare issues. So there are going to be these mini-series where we pause and we may jump back. But So just know we're going to be in the book of Ephesians for a while. Okay? Now, you, so, now some of you are going to say, we didn't do Ephesians today. We're going to use the whole counsel of God too. But it's to help us get at all that, all that Paul is trying to help us see as we walk our way through through this. And we want to become just more confident knowing that. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to kind of take our next step here to get, together. And so if you are able... I'm going to ask you to, to join me and stand because I want us to connect to the heart of praise that God has given Paul in this. So I want to ask you to stand together. We're going to read this out loud together. We're going to read it pretty quickly because this is a breathless passage almost. Okay, it's almost breathless. So I want us to read these verses together. And we're going to start in verse 3. Um, everybody ready? Take a deep breath. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purposes. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also after listening to the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Woo! Yeah, where's the oxygen, baby? Okay, you may be seated. Now, I, I would just encourage you to read, just take your sheet, maybe break it so that it flows for you. That's kind of what I did. But man, you need to read that and your soul should get more and more excited. Yeah, if you need some oxygen, get you some oxygen baby, but you, we, we need to, this is about our salvation. This is about what all God has done for us. This is, this is glorious, this is beautiful stuff. Now the truth is anytime God's Word seeks to stir our hearts to know Him more intimately, to, to know more deeply the beauty and the wonder and the glory of the salvation that He's given us, you know what's going to happen immediately? Satan is going to come along and try to smack you down. He's just just going to to come and try to rob you of the joy of your... You get excited about your salvation, Satan's coming. The moment you start getting... He's he's coming after you. The moment you start reading that, to the praise of God's glory. You know what? Smack. he's He's going to come after you. Because he wants to steal your joy. He wants to rob God of glory. And and he wants to steal your joy. So when you hit that moment of worship, man, you got to watch out. Satan comes along and he tries to create all kinds of things. And I want to say something about this particular passage. Because for centuries, in this passage, in verses 4, 5, and 6, there's a, there's a, a rift in the church. There's a great division that has gone on in the church for centuries. Over this passage and a few other passages kind of like it, that have to do with this issue of predestination. And brothers and sisters get all up in the air and fight about this. And I just want to say a couple of things about this. And I'm going to use my Stahl High School education. We ain't fighting here. We we ain't. For those of you that didn't go to Stahl, we are not. We're not going to fight about this. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, some of you may be visiting, and some of the new members may be thinking, oh my gosh, they're fighting and I didn't know. We're not. We're not. But if if you're visiting with us, and you're wanting to fight about this stuff, you probably ought to go somewhere else. Now, we're going to love you, but we're just not going to fight with you about this. Man, this beautiful passage of praise to God about our great salvation. Here's the deal: it's it's over little nuances of the mode of our salvation that we now. Please hear me say this: Do we need to be right doctrinally? Yes. And, and I don't know. I don't know anybody in this room who's more vigorous about that than me. I, I mean, just yes, we need to be right doctrinally. But again, in the words inspired by the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul, listen to these words from 1 Corinthians. If you could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. Here's Joe's paraphrase on this issue. If I had the ability to beat down my theological opponent in a great public debate and didn't love him. What I did was accomplish nothing. Nothing. Now in this church we have folks on both sides of this issue. Who think a little differently about this. Praise be to God for it. I'm grateful for that. But it, it, we're, just not gonna, we're not going to let it cripple our love. Our salvation. And Jesus is too great for that. God's glory is too important for us to get distracted by fighting over stuff. And the joy that flows, the joy that God intended to flow from our great salvation gets wrapped up in doctrinal debate. It breaks the heart of God, I believe. Now one of the great beauties of this passage that I want you to be captured by and I want to help you get captured by so if you don't like to write in your Bible you can write on the worksheet today is that this praise that Paul breaks out to is a praise to the Trinity because in here we see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all three working in our salvation. So I want you to see that all three members of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, are working in our salvation. In in, in verse 3, Paul speaks of God the Father. He says, blessed be God, uh, the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's he's just praising the name of God. In verse 6 he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You're going to see that phrase again. Just praising the glory of God's grace because the Father is involved in this. He goes on to say, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Who's the beloved here do you think? Well, we're going to see it's Jesus. But Paul is speaking of God the Father. Then in verses 11 and 12, look with me. It says, in him, now it's speaking of the beloved. In the beloved, also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. See the praise of his glory again? We have that same praise Jesus, praise the Father, praise the Son. And then he says he's talking about God the Son. He's talking about what he's done. And he says, praise his glory. And then if you look in verses 13 and 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You got sealed in Jesus in the Holy Spirit of promise. Who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. To what? To the praise of his glory. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul is just, man, he's in a a uh, praising frenzy because he's so excited about what God has done in his salvation. And so Paul gives us, I think, uh, an outline of how we should begin prayer. We should begin prayer with adoration, with praising God. And if you don't do this, I want to encourage you to try it. It'll be be really weird to start with. But sometimes you need to pray to God the Father. And sometimes you need to pray to God the Son. And sometimes you need to pray to God the Holy Spirit because you need to get to know the three persons of the Trinity intimately. Because they they play a different role in your salvation. And you need to know them personally and intimately so that you know what's going on in your salvation and, and which one you need to be addressing and agreeing with. In moments like this. So I just want to encourage you. Start, start spending some time praising Father, praising Son, praising. Start with praise. Because you can't go wrong there. Okay? So just start by, by praising and learn to pray to the Holy Spirit, to the Son, to the Father. As, as you grow in, in your prayer life. See, the, this tells us some incredible things. Um, in this section that, that Paul was so excited about. Look at, look at what, it, what it starts with. Paul starts out by showing us that God the Father is the one who planned your salvation. He planned it. He had a plan for your salvation. Look at this back in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before what? Before the foundation of the world. God had this plan before he hung this earth, before he formed it, before he he started, before he spoke that first let there be light. God had a plan. And you were part of God's plan. He he saw you. How many of you, you remember that song? Give me that old time religion. You remember, some of you remember that song? If you want to know about old time religion, that's old time religion, baby. That God planned you before the foundation of the world. You know, he, that, that's old, you want old, man that's old. That's, that's ancient. God, God thought about you. And, and the Bible says that he did it in love. You see how that uh, verse 4 ends, he says, or verse 5 begins, it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that he would be holy and blameless before him, what? In love. This was all done in love. And here's why. Because love is not content to exist alone love wants for another and so God chose you. Verse 5 tells us about this it says this, it says, we have he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will this was out of the kindness of his will now this is where a lot of people get bent out of shape right here on this this word, this verse, people this is where the fight breaks out And, and it freaks me out that we get bent out of shape when what should happen right here is we ought to get blessed. Don't get bent. Let the word of God bless your soul here. This is so, so beautiful, you know. That God chose you. He, he looked down the court of the time and says, I want you. And I want you and I want you and I want you and I want you. And, want you. and, and, and truthfully, God said that about everybody. Now, some people would say, does this mean God chose one sinner above another sinner? You know, is that what God was doing here? Does it mean that God had you in his heart and mind, you know, and nobody else? No, it means he did have you in his heart and mind. He was thinking about you before the foundation of the world. He thought about you by name, your face, your DNA, unique as it is. God thought about you before he formed the world. And he's thought about every, everybody he's ever created in his image that way. God's word declares over and over and over that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world that God desires for all to be saved. 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. If anyone does sin, does, is that anybody in this house? You, you ever... Everybody raise your hand. Come, no, okay. Couple of holdouts. You're, you're in, This verse is for you and me. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ. He's pleading for you. The one who is truly righteous. That ain't you. It's Jesus alone. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not only for our sins, but the sins of what? All. All. Sins of the whole world. Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, wanting him to understand the reality of this. He says this. He says, this is good. This is good stuff, folks. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our, our Savior, who desire, who all. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. See, it's God's will again that everybody say, uh, Peter writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit the Lord, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that who? All. There we go. And then the Holy Spirit gets involved in this action. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict who? The world. He'll convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Bible says in in John chapter 1 verse 9 that Christ is the true light which gives light to who? Everybody. Jesus is the light that that has come for the whole world. Everybody's invited in Jesus. Look at what Revelation 22 tells us. It says the Spirit. Who's the Spirit there? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit. And then it says, and the bride. Who's the bride? You're the bride. You're you're the bride. Now, some of you dudes have a problem with being the bride, but you're the bride. Here comes the bride, baby. The, the, The bride is the church. Okay? That's what he's talking about. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the church are saying, come. Come. Let him who hears say, come. See, anytime you hear the gospel... And it comes to your heart. What you ought to be doing next is saying, Hey, come to the gospel. We ought to be turning around and, and doing that. Hey, do you want to know? Do you want to get to know God? Do you have a thirst for him? Jesus, then wonderful. Come, come. And it says, Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Come get life, man. Whoever desires this gift of salvation, this great gift of salvation through Jesus. And, and here's the deal, folks. There are some passages in this book... That I read and I go, huh? There's some, there's some passages in here that are, are confusing to me a little bit. You know, some I don't understand. Folks, God is mysterious. There are things about him nobody knows yet. and We're, we're going we're to spend all eternity finding those things out. But there's some things you don't know. There's some things God hasn't told us in his words yet. He hasn't revealed about himself yet. But we're, we're, we're going to get to know those. But don't let the things that are confusing mess up and rob you of the joy of the things that are really, really, really clear and simple and spread throughout the whole of the New Testament and, and the Old Testament for that matter. God loves everybody. He has a plan for everybody. To come to saving knowledge of him. But not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody's going to receive his son. But he extends that invitation. And we should thank God for that. And we should not let Satan rob us of the joy of our salvation. Over nuances about, about the mode. And he did this. Remember before the foundation of the world. Look back at this again. It says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now this book. Even though there's places it's confusing. It's, it's filled with the miraculous work of God. Man, there's this great story in there about, about Jesus walking on the water. Anybody love that story like I do? Man, I love that story. There's, the, there's a story of when Jesus turns water into wine. And some of you are thinking, man, I wish he'd do that right now for me. You know? Um, those are just miracle after miracle. But you know what the greatest miracle is? It's right here in the, this verse. That he can make a sinner like me holy and blameless. There ain't a bigger miracle on the planet that he could take somebody who was going to bust hell wide open how I landed there. That he can make me holy and blameless. Now before you get on your high and mighty stuff right there where you're seated, you were going to bust hell wide open too. And he made you holy and blameless. Right now, you're holy and blameless before the Lord. You know, there, there are think about this free answer in fact don't answer just think is there anything that god can't do well there's one thing that i know god can't see my sin through the blood of jesus he can't see he doesn't want to so he's chosen not to so he can't he's he's made his plan He can't can't see your sin that's covered by the blood of Jesus. And you were made holy and blameless in his love. So how much does God love you? I'm telling you, it's going to take your mind a second to get there. Because immediately when I I say what I'm about to say, the first thing your mind's going to say, "Uh -uh." uh-uh. That's what your mind's going to say, "Uh uh-uh. But here's the truth of God's word. God loves you exactly as he loves his beloved son, Jesus. Exactly as he loves Jesus, he loves you. You're saying, Joe, that that can't be possible. Well, the Bible says that our salvation is in the beloved. How do we know who the beloved is? Well... When Jesus was getting baptized, Matthew records what happened. What happened? Heaven split open, in Matthew 3, 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is who? My beloved. This is, this is my beloved son. And the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you come in him. You're, you're in him. So you, 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 you experience the love of God through him. Now look what Jesus said about this love. This is Jesus praying to the Father on the night before he would sacrifice himself for you. This is what he said. The glory that you have given me I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now, if you ever start doubting the love of God, then you're doubting that he loved Jesus. And, and, and you probably say, well, I can't doubt that. Well, no, you can't. So you shouldn't doubt that he loves you. And he loves you as, even as, just like he loves his beloved son, the beloved one. So when God looks at you and you know what he said? Beloved. You're beloved. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And you say, well, uh, he, did, he saw what I did yesterday. Ain't no way he's ple-. He's not pleased in you because of what you do. He's pleased in you because he gave you salvation in his son. Man, you should be excited. You, you should want to read those verses fast in praise to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he's at work there. And friends, here's the deal. The truth is, That ought to cause us with every breath we have to just want to praise his holy name. Psalm 150, I'm just, I'm going to close with this. Psalm 150 says this. Let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord and you can praise Him because of this great salvation that you have in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working in your salvation past, present, and future. And the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I never know if In a moment like this, there's somebody in this room who is just right there for the very first time understanding their need for you. Because they hear about this great salvation and they see some people around them excited and filled with joy about their salvation and they're not. And if that's you right now in this moment, I want you to know that you can have that great joy in Jesus. The Bible says... If anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Now, what that looks like is that you have to come and call to him as Savior. The one, the only one who can save you from your sin that separates you eternally from God. And right now where you're at, you can just say, Father God, I believe in my heart that my sin separates me from you for all eternity. And I believe that you sent your son. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in in my place, carrying my sin on your body while you hung there. Thank you, Jesus. And I believe that by the power of the Spirit, you were raised to, to life on the third day after you were put in the grave, after you were dead so that the power of the resurrection may fill my life I believe that and the Bible says if you surrender to his saving and you surrender to his lordship to lead your life believing that you can have that great salvation too right now all you have to do is call on him and if you do that we want to help you we want to help you take your first steps to follow him and to, to live out that great salvation fully. So catch one of us after the service. We, we want to help you. Maybe that, that brother or sister in Christ that you know lives out the joy of their salvation that, that, that you came with. Ask them to help you. But for most of us in this room, Jesus, what you're calling us to is to celebrate the salvation in you that we have With hearts that are excited and filled with joy. Even in the middle of a world gone mad. In the middle of a culture of death. We can celebrate the life we have in you. Because you paid it all for us. And so we come now Jesus to worship you. To worship you. Generously giving back to you your tithe. Giving back offerings to you. Celebrating your goodness. And we give you our hearts now giving you thanks for the work that you have done to bring about our great salvation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you now. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.